I'm Kevin Sweeney. I cover college basketball for Sports Illustrated, and this is episode 78 of the Talking Grammar Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jeff Grammer with the Albuquerque Journal. And as you just heard, this is episode 78 of the Talking Grammar podcast. Uh, as I record this, it is Monday night, February 5th. It is the night before uh, the Lobos resume Mountain West play, start the second half of Mountain West action. Their first nine games were over last Wednesday. They had a bye spot um, in the schedule over this past weekend. They were the team that was off, and it was their first off spot in the schedule so far this season. And uh, they resume action Tuesday night uh, up the road in Laramie. Um, recorded a podcast earlier today with Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated about bracketology, essentially, um, where the Lobos stand, where the Mountain West Conference stand, in the NCAA tournament race, all that kind of stuff. Uh, got a couple stories written um, hit, hit the airport, flew up to Denver, and uh, I am now in an airport, I mean a hotel rather, um, up in uh, Colorado, and I will do the rest of the trip uh, tomorrow up to Laramie, cover tomorrow night's game to start, like I said, second half action of Mountain West play for the UNM Lobos, who stand at 18-4 and four overall and 6-3 and three in conference play. Monday morning, uh, there was a press conference previewing the Wyoming game, but also just talking about big-picture stuff for the UNM Lobos. Richard Pitino was told during the press conference um, the, the new Associated Press Top 25 poll came out, and despite the loss to the Broncos, the Lobos did remain ranked this week. They are number 25 UNM Lobos this week. Um, they're, they're that in both polls. But the Associated Press poll, um, when that was released, a reporter at the press conference told Richard Pitino, hey, just so you know, the poll came out. Uh, you guys are still ranked. And uh, I wanted to share with you Richard Pitino's reaction to um, the news that his Lobos were still ranked. Um, and here you go. Here's that. Oh, thank God. Thank God, yes. What are we ranked? All right, so there you go. There's the always sarcastic Richard Pitino, um, both telling you what he thinks about the polls, but also, if you notice, showing you he is just as curious as everybody else and wanted to know where the Lobos were ranked. So, as meaningless as the AP polls are, I'm an AP voter. I am one of the 63 voters. There were only 61 votes this week. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, what two voters um, didn't vote or why, um, but usually there's 63 AP voters. I'm one of the AP voters across the country, have been for 12 years now, and, um, you know, our poll is what it is. Uh, I don't try and pretend to make it anything it's not. It is for conversation's sake. It is to keep the sport of college basketball um, in the conversation in any way it can possibly stay that stay in that conversation during the months of November and December. And as things start heating up in, in January and February, um, you will see that the polls actually start to diminish in importance and interest a little bit as net rankings. And um, it used to be RPI, but net rankings and Ken Palm and metrics and bracket talk start to pick up heat and pick up steam a little bit because people want to know, are they getting in the or is their team getting in the tournament? Um, what they have to do to get in the tournament, and maybe what seed they are. Bracketology is sort of a industry that used to be reserved to just a handful of people. Everyone knows the name Joey Joe Lenardi, Joey Brackets, as some have called him on ESPN because he had the biggest platform through ESPN, but a lot of others, Jerry Palm. A lot of people have, through the years um, have started or have been doing bracket projections, but it is now an industry in and of itself with... 100 people out there. 
I wanted to talk to somebody who, who does some of those. That is Kevin Sweeney um, for SportsIllustrated.com. He, SI.com, he, he, I, I asked him, look, I'm the beat writer that primarily covers the UNM Lobos. There are beat writers around this league and around the country that cover specific teams and start hearing more and more discussion from coaches and from people around the program about this metric means the most or this stat or this number means the most because that is what those teams, that is the number that those teams want to push out there that means the most because it's what helps them the most. Fan bases certainly do it too. What number helps your fan or your team look the best? That's the number you start looking at. Um, I can tell you there are two teams in this league, Boise State and San Diego State, that um, thump their chest every chance they get about strength of schedule. Well, strength of schedule is one metric that doesn't actually tell you a thing about your team. It tells you how tough the opponent was, obviously. But by definition, strength of schedule tells you nothing about your team. The committee doesn't look at strength of schedule nearly as much as teams that have really good strength of schedule say they do, what they look at is strength of record. That's something we discussed in this podcast today. Now, strength of record obviously is influenced by strength of schedule, but strength of schedule in and of itself is not a metric that reflects on a team. It is literally how good your opponents were. It has nothing to do with how good or bad you are. The teams with the toughest strength of schedule every year are usually from the SWAC um, because they play the toughest schedule. That doesn't mean they get rewarded by getting in the NCAA tournament ever. So you can have a tough strength of schedule, but you better do something with it. That's sort of where Boise State is right now. Um, They do have five really good quality wins, five quad one wins. As I record this, I believe they're tied for seventh in the country with the most quad one wins. The problem is they didn't do enough with that really tough schedule otherwise to have good computer metrics. Their, Their coach, I know earlier today, Leon Rice on Monday, kind of said we lost sight of what this is all about it's about winning and it's about not paying attention to those metrics so much it's just about winning well you know 48 hours ago when they beat air force by 38 points he was the one that brought up at a press conference that his team scored 1.66 points per possession which is according to bart torvik um, one of the many analytic sites out there something that hadn't been done in six years and uh every coach will tell you about how good the numbers are and analytics are when it helps them. And if it doesn't really help them, and like in Boise State case, they aren't really good in the computer metrics, but they have a few, they have more good wins than anybody in the Mountain West. They'll tell you that that's what's important. Here's a 48-hour swing with Leon Rice where analytics were something he was smiling like crazy about when he blew out a bad team. Literally today on Monday, he said, there's some teams out there that'll beat up on a bad team and their metrics look great. He literally just did it on Saturday. Um, So it's funny how coaches will tell you one metric or one stat matters, and then when they're making a different argument or point, they won't. That's why I wanted to bring somebody like Kevin Sweeney, who isn't associated either in coverage or actually working for any of the teams in the Mountain West, to lay out exactly where the Mountain West stands. There are six teams, Nevada, Colorado State, Boise State, New Mexico, San Diego State, and Utah State, I think I just named six, um, that are still in the mix for the NCAA tournament. As of right now, Kevin has five in, one out, and all six still have a chance. Some of them have a chance to get as high as about a four seed, he thinks, Um, if things go right, obviously. But uh, where are they at? What number should you as a fan be watching? And uh, how's the next 
six weeks going to play out with this college basketball season before Selection Sunday. Hope you enjoyed this conversation I had with Kevin Sweeney of SI.com about the NCAA tournament possibilities of six teams of the Mountain West Conference. All right, Kevin, so what I'm kind of looking for in this episode here is I want to talk bracketology. I, I, I daily correspond, be it through emails or my articles or social media, which I'm on way too much, um, with primarily Lobo basketball fans, um, but also some around the Mountain West. But obviously, as a beat writer, it's it's a you know pretty Lobo-centric group. I don't want those Lobo fans and readers to uh, continue hearing just one voice that they may think is directing you know the conversation one way or the other. I wanted somebody who isn't a beat writer to to tell me, tell us, tell the whole league really kind of where this league stands. Um, I know there's a lot of conversation this year about the Mountain West, so I'm hoping you have uh, somewhat of an idea on uh, where this Mountain West Conference stands this year in the big picture of NCAA tournament talk and how many teams might get in. It's it's complicated, right? And I think the thing that's kind of particularly challenging is that, you know, the expert bracketologists do a great job of this, but even even they are are guessing what they think the committee will think. And I think sometimes when you look back, the logic and justifications don't line up year over year, right? Like there are certain patterns you can study for sure. But I, I think when when you talk to people around it, like I think oftentimes it it feels as though they come to a conclusion and the, and then they find the evidence that supports that conclusion rather than look at the evidence and make a choice. So look, it's 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 hard to to sift through everything. It's also early February and a lot of things will change. And you know, it's probably not worth pulling anyone's hair out on, you know, whatever, February 5th, February 6th, about um you know, who's in, who's out, or, you know, seven seed versus eight seed, let alone. So, like, I think that's the, the, the that's probably the top line, but I think the the league as a whole is in, in very good shape. And I, I think it, it's certainly good for the Mountain West that this is the conversation we're having, not like how do we sneak a second or how do we sneak a third team into the field? I, I will say that the um, amount of um, notifications or tweets I get from people saying, look, somebody else has a Patino versus Patino 8-9 game. I'm like, it's February. Um, if it happens, great. Uh, but yeah, the, the matchups are the least important part of all of this right now. Where where you sitting, where you're sitting right now, maybe a little more important, but still not that important in February first week of February. But uh anyway, we are here for that very topic. Let's let's start with the big picture of the Mountain West. I am I safe to say seven down, and I'm I'm saying seven is like Wyoming UNLV range down is not getting in without a, a tournament run or I guess mathematically a, a UNLV could go nine and zero from this point on and get in. But I mean, are, are we, are we okay with saying seven teams down aren't getting in? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. UNLV, if they want out would potentially be in the mix, but you know, that's one of those, uh, all right, like we're winning nine straight, so we don't have to win three straight. Like the math, like the math yeah. doesn't really add up there, right? Like, like all consider right. the water better bus right now. So we're, we're in the conversation today then of, and I'm just going to read them. I'll, I'll go. I mean, you can you can pick any kind of order. The 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 local beat writer is going to go with the net. So I'm going to name New Mexico first, San Diego State second, Utah State third, Colorado State fourth, Boise State fifth, and then Nevada. You know, I, I, I we'll start with Nevada um, because they, in my mind, would be the sixth team, and, and their metrics have certainly fallen off. 
but not out of the picture. Is that is that fair to say they're they're not out? Yeah, they've got work to do now, but but not out. I think the thing that that stands out with them is that they you know got some stuff done in the non-conference wins that I think will really matter come uh, selection Sunday if they are on the bubble, right? To beat uh, TCU, who I think is a, a very clear tournament team, potentially like a top five or six seed uh, on a neutral court. That's you know massive. Winning at Washington, that should be a solid win. Not a you know. They're not getting in just because they won at Washington. Washington's in, probably an IT team, but there's there's something there, right? Um, but the way they've started, you know, to be four and four in the league, to have a bad loss, to get blown out the way they have, especially, you know, obviously in that game at New Mexico, it, it set them back a little bit. And so not only now do they have to win some games here on the back half and, and the schedule sets up to have some big ones, but – you know, I also think they're going to have to get some style points, especially when they play some of the teams towards the bottom, right? Like they they have to find a way to get you know their net, their Ken Palm back into the top fifty and, and not be not be the outlier in, in that front if they want to go dancing. I know there's not a magic number to all this, but what's what's the minimum um, a, a net or a Ken Palm, which are generally in the same ballpark, obviously that when we when we talk about this, but what's what do you got to get into to, to be in the conversation? Can you be in the fifties and still be in that large team? Or do you need to at least get up into the forties? I think in the mountain West, you probably want to be in the forties. Uh, I, I think in, in some of the power leagues, there have been teams that have been able to kind of sneak around, get a couple of big wins, hang around. You know, there, there, There's so many opportunities to build a resume that your predictive metrics, if you will, don't have to back it up and you can sneak in. Usually there's one team a year where you're like, they're 65th, they're 67th, and they're somehow in the mix. Arizona State last year was, was that team, and they snuck in in the first four. But I do think that if you're in the Mountain West, you want to be in the 40s, and certainly I think you want to be below below 60. I think if you get over 60, it gets real hairy. All right. 30s would be better. Um, Nevada, obviously, uh, a team like you said that had, to, had to, has work to do. I think all these teams have some work to do. Um, I'll, we'll, we'll go team by team rather than kind of like who's a lock, who's in. But um, let's just move on then to Boise State, the team that people, a lot of people listening to this podcast or watching this podcast know last week. Um, they're interesting to me, man. They they got a really fascinating kind of uh, resume right now in that the the metrics have them, you know, fifth uh, in the net. They have them fifth in Ken Palm in this league. And yet they have five quad one wins. I think that's seventh in the country yesterday. I don't know if it still is seventh, but it's you know, tied for seventh most quad one wins in the country. Um, but all those other metrics aren't exactly lining up yet. So it seems like they have a good, a nice, good little resume going for them. And I, I think they do in general. Uh, but those other numbers haven't caught up. Where do you see Boise State? And um, what do they still have to do? Yeah, I have them in the field. I think right now they're probably in like that eight, nine game range for me. That may be a little bit higher than you see with some of the other bracketologists out there. Um, but I think when you look at the the overall resume there, they've they've done a lot of work and they don't have a lot that makes you want to leave them out, right? Sometimes, especially at, at the at the cut line, you're you're really looking for like what teams killed themselves, right? Like which teams knocked them out with a terrible loss. And and that home loss to UNLV is the only real you know, knock on the resume. You know, V is a talented team. You know, top top one hundred in, in in the metrics. Like that's not a that's not a disastrous one. I also think the thing with Boise, like because of the schedule that they played uh, and some of the wins that they have, especially you know that St. Mary's win early, I think is has really aged nicely. Like if they finish strong and their metrics keep rising, right? I mean, this is a team that in 
you know, early December was 85th on Ken Palm. And now they're top 50 in, you know, 45. So they basically cut that in half, right? Like if this thing keeps rising and, and this has not been a unique story to this year for Boise, right? Like you look, you bet, look back, they've had a lot of slow starts under Leon and then turned it and really got going late. Like if this, if this is a trend and they wind up in the, in the thirties or forties, like, or the, you know, the thirties or even, you know, maybe high twenties, right? Like if, it, it, I think there's room for them to really climb and be in that six, seven seed range that a lot of the top Mountain West teams are in right now. But, but for now, I think a little bit behind just because, you know, some of the predictive metrics don't love them as much. I did see a stat the other day with their blowout win at home against Air Force. Um, it, I, I think that's when I saw it. Um, you know, basically their November uh, has always been fairly poor, frankly, under Leon, as you mentioned. But their January, they might be one of the top two or three, maybe the best January record in the country over the last like three or four years. So they kill it in January. They they come back to earth a little bit in February, maybe. Um, but uh, they're, they kill it every January. And uh, they did pretty good this January. They did have two losses, but they picked up some some pretty good wins. Yeah, one on the road at Nevada, that's huge, right? Like, I think, especially in this league, like, all these road wins are are just ginormous. And you get a road win against the top teams in the league, so Nevada and New Mexico, to have those two in their back pocket. I mean, that will pay dividends, certainly to win a conference championship, let alone to make an NCAA tournament. Colorado State's who I have next on the list. Um, let me Let me take a step back real quick. I don't know that I pinned you down as of – today which is a very meaningless day in the grand scheme of things um i am curious did you say you had nevada in or they have work to do to get in nevada's out right now i have nevada kind of right around like the next four out so they've got pretty substantial work at the moment and you uh as far as boise state you do say in eight nine range colorado state where do you have them they're unique i mean a lot of these are kind of unique in that they have a a, a big feather in the cap one way or the other and then they also have some kind of eh, back to earth kind of moments like Colorado State has sort of had since league play started. Yeah, I, I have Colorado State a little bit higher. So uh, right now I have them as my last six seed. You know, but by the by the end of the night that might be down to the first seven. But they're right in that six seven conversation. So a little bit higher up. Um, I think to me it's the the work that they were able to accomplish in the non conference beating Creighton in the neutral court is monstrous. Colorado is a great win. Neutral Washington, like they they really put together a resume in the non-conference and really outside of the the Wyoming debacle. They've done some they've 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 added some early nice wins in league play, right? Obviously on your home court, but to beat New Mexico, to beat San Diego State, like to have four top 30 wins in early February is is huge and I think that will set them up well as long as they don't you know, obviously, if they took a, another bad loss or two, things could, could could get hairy. But I think they're in very good shape to make the tournament. And I think they're in pretty darn good shape to stay out of the 8-9 game, which I know everybody wants to, right? Like, no yeah. no fan, like, loves the idea of having to play a one seed in in, in the second round. So um, I think seven, you know, a seven is very realistic right now, and a six is, is certainly possible. Their team, too, that obviously with – I, I guess I'll ask the question. It, it's sort of guesswork. Um, we don't know for sure what the committee does with things like this, but Isaiah Stevens is a great story, a fifth-year um, All-American candidate, fifth-year senior and, and a true All-American candidate, not just because he's having a great year in the Mountain West, um, but 
doesn't Isaiah Stevens and and uh, a little bit of name recognition with a star player help in any way in your mind? Do you think the committee leans that way sometimes when they see an Isaiah Stevens? I think maybe a little bit. I, I think the thing that that sometimes happens, right, especially for 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 the mid major teams, is like you just want to be in the committee's consciousness, right? We have to remember, like the people making these decisions are athletic directors and people who have all sorts of stuff to do the rest of the year. So, like. Just hearing like, oh, I heard about Colorado State. They beat Creighton on Thanksgiving. That was a big deal, right? Oh, I, I you know, I've, I've watched them. Isaiah Stevens is incredible, right? Like, maybe that helps you a little bit. Maybe that gets you gets you a little bit of benefit of the doubt because it does. You you get down to some of these resumes and you are really splitting hairs, and you can find justifications for oh, you know, X team has a great road record. X team is great against Quad One A instead of Quad One B, and it's like right. you know, realistically. Like sometimes you just you just need something that gives you the benefit of the doubt. And I think Isaiah certainly would be the type of guy who could get you some benefit. Then. All right. So you got them um, a little higher than Boise. Uh, I will move on now. Let's go Utah State. They're the surprise of the league. Uh, pick preseason nine in the league. It's it's weird. I, I wrote about it in the preseason. But the nine pick in the preseason Mountain West poll has gotten to the NCAA tournament like multiple times through the years which is sort of weird considering the – you wouldn't consider the nine in a Mountain West to be an NCAA tournament lock, and it's not a lock, but it has been multiple times that the preseason nine has made the NCAA tournament, including Wyoming a couple years back. Um, anyway, uh, Utah State, biggest surprise, obviously, in a lot of ways, but uh, where do you have them right now? I've, I I will admit I'm, I'm a bit of a still sort of waiting to see how real they are, and it, we're in February. I know you – for bracket talk, maybe that's early, but like you've put together a pretty good body of work at this point. Maybe I should quit thinking, all right, they're going to come back down to earth a little bit. So uh, where do you, where are you at with Utah state right now? So I think from a get into the tournament standpoint, Utah state is in unbelievable shape. So I have them as a seven seed just below Colorado state in terms of seeding. Uh, but I think it's important to remember there is a little bit of a slant uh, when it comes to all these metrics. They're not just all it, considered individually. So the committee does tend to use quote unquote resume metrics, which is more of a, a pure representation of what you've accomplished. Um, so that's KPI and strength of record. Right. Uh, they use those very heavily in who gets into the field. They use um, Ken Palm, I think that a little bit more heavily with seeding because that's true, the quality of the teams, right? Like how good are, is a team? So, you know, I think Utah State has some room they could drop from a quality standpoint as things work their way down because you know they still have a lot to do on their schedule. This was they had the light a lighter you know first half of the Mountain West schedule, but Utah State is 17th in strength of record right now. Like it would like what they've accomplished and winning some of these games that aren't sexy, right? But like beating Akron on a neutral court, that win means a lot when you're playing strength the strength of record game, right? Winning at Santa Clara beating San Francisco in the Bay Area, like that, the wins like that, winning at UNLV, right? Like you 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 stack up enough of those and you get to 19 and three, you can make a pretty big dent without winning any crazy games, right? Like Utah State, I think they're lacking those elite wins. But when you look at what they've accomplished, they have enough good sneaky wins that they're in a very good position right now, I think, to at least make the tournament. The uh, let's KPI and strength of record, since you mentioned those two, and I know those two are the ones that um maybe, like you said, lean towards the who gets in a little more. 
Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about why strength of you know, KPI is one of the the many metrics, right? And and uh, I don't know, is there an easy answer as to what differentiates KPI from from a Ken Palm from a BPI? So I think the best way of describing it is that Ken Palm's goal, and I'm sure Ken could probably explain this better than I can, <laughs> but Ken Palm's goal is using what we've seen so far to predict what's going to happen in the next game, right? So if you're beating teams by a million every time out, you're probably pretty darn good, right? You you, you go seven you go seven and one in an eight-game stretch, but to win all seven games by 20 points and lose one game by one, you were pretty unlucky that you lost the eighth game, is Ken Palm's theory, right? But KPI, like you can win by 100, you can win by one. That's not really relevant. We're trying to grade what your resume looks like compared to other teams that have played eight games, right? So, you know, in, in that case, the seven and one team um, would be higher, presumably in Ken Palm than the seven, you know, the seven and one team would be on, on KPI, but KPI is rewarding teams that play a lot of good teams, right? So and this is maybe getting too complicated here, but like one of the main critiques of the quadrant system, right, is that, you know, you play team 76 at home and you lose, that's a bad loss. But you play team 75 on the road and it's like a season-changing win. Right. Like the, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So things like KPI and strength of record, they do a more holistic job instead of just saying, let's sort these games into four buckets. It's a more holistic job of saying, okay, like you win a high, you, you, you beat enough good teams you had a 60% chance to win six games and you won five of them, you really accomplished something regardless of how the style points were. So I think that's really what you're looking at is like, it's more backwards looking than forward looking is what you're dealing with, with, with KPI versus Ken. And strength of record as opposed to strength of schedule. I I've, Partly because every year I have to answer a lot of questions about the Lobos' fairly weak non-conference strength of schedule. I do tell people this. Strength of schedule doesn't tell you anything about the team itself. It's literally how good your schedule was. So it's it's more of a barometer of who you played. It's not about you at all. The Golden State Warriors could play the easiest college basketball strength of schedule and be ranked 360th in strength of schedule if they wanted to. It doesn't mean the Golden State Warriors aren't a really good basketball team at the division one level. Right. So I, while I do say that it gives you, um, I guess more wiggle room when you play a, a, a tougher strength of schedule, you're given the benefit of the doubt. And if you win some of those games, it sort of proves you might be more golden state warriors than, than not. Um, I don't know why I'm using them there. It's not like they're, I don't know, three years ago, that would have been a better example, but um, strength of record is what exactly. Strength of record is is somewhat similar to KPI in terms of it, it it it's it's attempting to measure what you've accomplished based on the teams that you've played and the the strength of schedule is just who have you played. Um, the strength of schedule is also like that individual number is not being is is not a substantial piece of like are you getting into the tournament or not. Like the the, the committee doesn't sit around and say, well you know, this team should get docked a seed line because their strength of schedule was 261 instead of 246, right? Like, that, that that's not how it works. It can be an eliminator in some cases, right? Like, if, all right, like, we're down to the last four teams. Let's figure out who's getting in, who's not. This team didn't challenge themselves. This team did. Then oftentimes they're going to give a benefit of the doubt to that team that played the tough schedule. But 
I would say that strength of record number is more important than just your raw strength of schedule. I, I do think it's worth noting too on strength of schedule. Um, there are so many weird challenges that um, face athletic departments across the country in, that that aren't equal. And a committee set up of mostly commissioners and athletic directors kind of understand that. And while it's really easy for a lot of people to say, committee looks at strength of schedules, committee looks at strength of schedule. I, I I would I always try and remind people they look at other things a lot more than strength of schedule. Basically, what you did against your schedule, as opposed to just playing a tough schedule, is is important. So, all right, we are three teams. No, we're four teams in now because you have Utah State as a seven. Um, let's go to San Diego State. Uh, the Aztecs made the big run last year. That frankly, I, I'll I'll back up a little bit too on this and say San Diego State's run last year. I think helped a lot of the. Um, maybe national attention and sort of maybe this isn't just an entirely pretending league gaming the system and getting all these high metrics and, and net and Ken Palm and all that. Maybe this league can have some pretty quality teams. So kudos to San Diego State for that. They did a lot of good for this league by finally getting the monkey off this league's back of, of going one and done quite a bit. Um, all that said, San Diego State right now, I, I'm looking at number, uh, let's see, 20 in the net, 20 in Ken Palm. Where where's San Diego State right now, and and where can they be? I think San Diego State's probably the best position from a seeding standpoint right now. I have them as a as the top number six seed. They could very easily be on the five line. I think there's upside probably to get all the way up to the four, which is key in that you become a protected seed. You have a little bit more of a, a clear path to play where you want to play. You don't get sent you know three thousand miles across the country to go play uh, in, in round one. Um, you know, the thing I think that stands out with their, their resume, there's just not a lot to criticize, right? They have no real bad losses. They lost at BYU. At the time, you're like, how good is BYU? Well, they turned into a top 10 team on, you know, most of the metrics. Grand Canyon on the road. Oh, geez, they lost to, you know, a whack team. Oh, okay. Grand Canyon's really good. Mike and that large themselves at New Mexico, at Boise, at Colorado State. None of those hurt. Eventually, you want to win one or two of those, but they did in the non-conference. They beat St. Mary's on a neutral court. That's aging incredibly well. They beat Gonzaga on the road. Gonzaga's not playing great, but Gonzaga's a team that their their metrics are incredibly strong. And so winning that game on the road means a whole lot, even if Gonzaga isn't in the tournament. Um, so I think that that's critical. Um, even some of their you know early results that you were kind of questioning. Oh, UC San Diego, you only beat them by one. That that was kind of shaky, right? Well, UC San Diego is now nine and two in their league and and fringe top 100 team. UC Irvine, one point win. UC Irvine now top of the Big West. So um, you know, their, 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 their resume is really good. It's really, really like they're, they're, there's nothing to criticize. There's some big time wins. There's no bad losses. Uh, the metrics are strong. I, I think the, the upside here is pretty immense. It'd be nice to win one or two of these tough road games here in February or early March. But uh, I, I think San Diego State is, is in the field without some sort of catastrophe happening down the stretch. Looks like a ceiling of four, a, a basement again, catastrophe notwithstanding. Um, Eight, maybe at worst. I think, yeah, I think that eight, nine game would be the furthest they could fall. Um, all right. Let's move on then to the team I cover. The UNM Lobos has not been, they have not been in the uh, NCAA tournament since a decade ago, 2013 14. This is the currently the longest, <clears throat> excuse me, postseason drought NIT or NCAA tournament um, since the pit's been open. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a 60 year. 
uh, span where they never went more than, I think, five years maybe between either NIT or NCAA. And NIT had a little more weight, you know, back at the beginning of that span. But they want back in so bad. There are some people uh, around these parts, though, that that aren't just happy with thinking they might get in. They they want to see them, you know, win win the league and, and get a great seed. There, but there are some some question marks about their resume. So what say you about the UNM Lobos and their chances of getting in the NCAA tournament this year and where they might actually be seated? I think they're in solid shape. Like I, I would not be raising any huge alarm bells at the moment with New Mexico. I think the thing that obviously stands out is just like the true quality metrics. I mean, to be top 20 on Ken Palm, I believe still top 20 in the net, like they are like they have rolled teams and they pass every eye test imaginable in terms of like, yes, this is an NCAA tournament team. The things that could hold them back are really the the, the fact that they've done so much of their work on their home court. And, yep. you know, look, the pit is an amazing home court advantage. You don't want to take that away from it, from them, but you also have to accomplish something eventually away from home. Like I, I do think it's going to be hard to get in and maybe they will just kind of sneak in if this happens. But I, I think it's going to be hard if you get to selection Sunday and you're 20, you know, 25 and eight and everything looks pretty, but like who have you really beaten away from home? And like your best, your best road neutral win is like Santa Clara or something like that. Like, I think that would be a problem. I don't know if it would be enough to get them, get them left out, but it would be enough that like, we're waking up on Sunday morning and we are refreshing all the bracketology pages and we are like sweating this out and sending in lots of tweets to Jeff Grammer about how like rigged the selection process is and the whole deal. Right. Like this is like, this is, this is where we are. If they don't do anything on the road, they could solve that. Win one, maybe two of these ones at Nevada, at San Diego state, at Boise, at Utah state. I think, one of those road wins is probably enough to feel pretty darn good with the way that they played at home. Yeah, obviously, you know, slip up here, there, it could get bad, but I think right now in good shape, I have them on the eight line. Uh, so a little bit closer to, to the cut line, like Boise state is, but yeah. um, I think for now in good shape, as long as they don't completely go over on the road. I, I will say a week like this. Um, one thing they have, I would say kind of going for them a little bit, or maybe not hurting them, I guess is more accurate than saying going for them. But but a week like this, like don't go have a hiccup on the road in Laramie, like can happen. Colorado State just did it. Um, take care of, you know, avenging your earlier season loss at home against UNLV. This is not a sexy week. It's not going to build your resume, but like it's a, it's a kind of a pitfall week where you do then get a quad three, um loss maybe if if you lose one of these and, and you don't want one of those um you, right now they don't have that uh they only have the two quad one wins and and i think i think last i checked they're still at quad th- or three with the quad twos you know w- whatever with the quads the, the, but they don't have a bad loss right um i do think that a home loss to unlv or a road loss to Wyoming would would be considered for the first time for them a bad loss. I don't know that the road loss to UNLV would be considered bad, but uh, I think losing in the pit to UNLV would be. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. It would and it would it would be a quad three, which is yeah. you, if you can keep those two quad three and four quadrants clean, it's it's just much better for everyone. I will also say, and we we had our conversation about scheduling and why it's hard, whatever. 
one thing I was just kind of noticing as I was looking through um, New Mexico's resume a little closer and looking at things like their strength of record, right? Like one of the reasons New Mexico has a weak strength schedule is because they need to play a lot of home games, right? Like you, you, you and I have spoken about this in the past. Um, so to counteract that, you want to play teams that will push you at least you, you want to play like, so, so, so I guess the best way I would put it is that you can really improve your KPI and your strength of record by playing a lot of quad three games instead of quad four games in the non-conference. And I give New Mexico credit because I look up and down the schedule and I see, you know, Louisiana tech 67th in Ken Palm, UC Irvine 71st on Ken Palm. I will say um, on the Louisiana tech, Team and UC Irvine as well a little bit. I know they're big in the Big West right now. Louisiana Tech's a team that I remember when I watched them thinking, like, I like that team a lot. So I, I think that was a sneak. I don't think any Lobo fan is going to say, wow, Louisiana Tech, we beat them, great. Um, But I, I think Louisiana Tech, just since you happen to bring them up first, I think they're actually a pretty good team. But They're, they're, leading, the league, they're leading the league. They're really good, like yeah, 100%. Yeah. Toledo wins their league every year. They're like 131st on Ken Palm right now. Even like UT Arlington's 153, that's probably better than you would have expected in the preseason with a new coach. Like, like, those are the marginal things that like really make differences between like like if New Mexico's schedule was three you know 300 central and it was just you know here here's terrible team after terrible team the schedules that a lot of Big 12 teams have played, I think they'd be in a much worse position sitting here today than they are. And I so I, th I do think. The people who put together that schedule, it's obviously a unique circumstance for them and how they you know have to have to operate. I, I give them a lot of credit because I think they made some good moves around the margins that position themselves well. Yeah, their lowest Ken Palm, you know, team is is Texas Southern at 277. So they didn't even get one of those 300 level teams. In the Mountain West, that used to be, you know, one or two of their own teams, an Air Force or San Jose State, but uh not not anymore. And then yeah, who you pick? They're, they they need a better MTE. Um, I, they, they admit that they want to get in a tougher MTE, but the one they did get in, what wasn't horrible, you know, it was like you said, maybe a bunch of quad threes. Um, I don't think they realized Rice maybe, although Rice just had a nice little win recently. Um, you know, I don't think they realized Rice and Pepperdine might be as bad as as they were, but you know, Santa Clara Toledo were were two good neutral court wins. So, um, what New Mexico has to do is, is as you said, pick up one of those road wins. Um, you're pretty confident they're in. That said, we'll take the bracketology part out of this. You you know New Mexico a little bit matchup wise. Do they have a chance then of uh, of maybe making some noise regardless of seed? Seed would help them, but regardless of seed, does this uh, New Mexico team make any noise in the tournament? I think they can, right? Like I, I think talent wise, you line them up and they just don't look outmatched when they play. If you, you put them against the Big 12 opponent, you put them against the SEC, like the athleticism, the, the team speed, the you know size on the interior with JT Toppin and, and Nelly. Like, like, I think when you have high-level guard play, you have size and you have athleticism, you have an opportunity to really make noise in, in that event. And I think that's what New Mexico has. I think the other thing is that defensively, they're so much better than they were a year ago, right? Like, this is not a team that is going to get in the gym and try to beat everyone 100 and, you know, 110 to 105, right? Like, obviously, they want to play fast. They want to get up and down the floor. But they can – I think they've proven that they can dig in and get stops against good teams. And I think that's going to be critical uh, if they're going to win games in March against 
higher level competition. Uh, but I think they have the formula in terms of they have high level guard play uh, with Dent and, and House and, and Mash as well. And then to to add in just you know to be able to guard down low with with bigs that can move uh, and guard in space, but also have the physicality to hang in on, on the block. I think that 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 gives you a chance. It gives you a chance. Obviously, matchup dependent, but I think they have a chance. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Let me, uh, before we go, ask you uh, where can people follow you and and what sh- what should people forget following you? We'll get to that in a second. What should people be looking at as they watch this bracketology stuff? Like, obviously, they can they can find the the ones that make their team look the best and all that kind of stuff. Um, I I do think sites like Bracket Matrix are a good big picture because it takes so many sources and just sort of um you know averages them out right. Uh, so I, I would recommend something like the bracket matrix for the for the um, for most fans to kind of follow along. But what what would you recommend? How can they find, you know, KPI? What's your go to? Yeah, look, I think the, the the way I would approach it is this: I think the bracketology quote unquote industry has become so gamified, where like everything has to be. I mean, I was watching like the first week of January and there's graphics on the screen. Like if they win, they move into the field. And if they lose, they like, like that is so crazy because that's not how this works. It's so, it's so holistic a process that treating individual games, especially individual, like not super, super high level games, right? Like obviously like New Mexico, San Diego state is a huge game. That means a lot for both teams. That's obvious, but that's obvious with or without bracketology, right? Like yeah. but treating each individual game as this, like, well, you move up two spots on the seed list if you win this one. Stop stressing and worrying about that. That's not how this works. At the end of the day, what you want are no reasons to leave you out. So no bad losses, no eyesore metrics. Um, you want quad one wins. You want a strong record overall against quad one and quad two. Uh, and... You know, I think at the end of the day, you you want to prove that you're playing good basketball at the right time, right? Like, don't don't leak it, don't give them a reason to leave you out because you've lost five of seven heading into the NCAA tournament. So, look, obviously, that's not the that's not the answer everyone wants because everyone wants to overreact to everything. Like, that's the society we live in. But, like, truly, like, I, I think look at the matrix, get a sense of where you are. Um, you can read Sports Illustrated's bracketology. It debuts uh, here on on Tuesday of this week, so it'll be out. Um, read read every read read wherever you'd like to read you know pick your favorite bracketologist i don't care but at the end of the day try not to get wrapped up individually in one game or another because that's it's it's a it's a 32 34 game marathon not a sprint this uh bracket industry as you you uh, referenced it's funny to me because i've been an ap voter for for like 12 years now right and almost every week i'll get at least one comment about how the ap poll doesn't matter and for 12 years, about 30, you know, 20 times a year at least, I'm getting told how little the AP poll matters from a lot of the same people who read it every week and then tell me it doesn't matter. Well, it matters some because it just becomes part of the viewing process and the following process. Um, but you're right. In the in the grand scheme of things, I'll tell you, the AP poll doesn't matter at all for bracketology. Um, and bracketology talks, while wonderful podcast content, in or the first week of February, probably don't mean a whole lot either. Lot, lots of work to do for everyone. Let's not let's not let's not go crazy here and and drive yourself nuts. We're never going to make it to Selection Sunday if we do. Awesome. So you got a bracketology dropping. The first one on SI.com is Tuesday. Tuesday. Yep. 
where else can people follow you? Uh, I'm also, if, if they're interested in bracketology stuff, I'm hosting the Fielding the 68 show on Field 68 uh, with a couple of great bracketologists who, who do, do a tremendous job, Rocco Miller, uh, Brad Wachtel, Andy Bottoms, Lucas Harkins. Uh, and then I'm on Field 68. I'm also still at Sports Illustrated uh, as, as, as things kind of move along there. Uh, so si.com and then check me out on Twitter for in the meantime, uh, at CBB underscore central. How sick of this are you going to be by this time, even next week and definitely by selection Sunday? I, I have a spreadsheet of all my bracket work every year. Uh, and the joy of closing that tab off of my <laughs> Chrome for good on like March 17th is one of the best feelings in the world. So I, I cannot wait for that to be over, but I also, I love it, right? It's part of, it's part of why we do this thing. So part of the process, Kevin, thanks a lot, man. Thanks, sir. All right. Well, there you go. There was my conversation with Kevin Sweeney. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, again, as I record this from hotel room up in Northern Colorado, uh, it is one day out from the UNM Lobos resuming action um, in Mountain West play for the second half of their 18-game Mountain West schedule. Uh, nine down, they're at six and three, tied for third place, tied with San Diego State for third place in the Mountain West Conference standings, behind a tie at first place between seven and two Utah State and seven and two Boise State. Um, those four teams, in addition to Colorado State and Nevada. Um, still have a chance at making the NCAA tournament. Technically, any team can still get in because they can win the Mountain West, the Mountain West tournament rather, um, and get into the NCAA tournament. But um, the the six teams that have an at large hope uh, out of the Mountain West Conference, meaning they would get in even if they don't win their conference tournament, are the ones we just discussed. Um, hope you found that useful. Uh, again, look at any stats you want. It does none of it really matters. Selection committee on selection Sunday in March is really all that matters about who gets in the tournament, and who doesn't, and it does vary every year. It seems to be, you know, one year they they really are are high on road wins. Um, one year they're high on some other metric. Uh, we'll see what it is this year. Right now the Lobos are on the inside. Um, in a pretty solid position, as Kevin said, but not a whole lot of wiggle room after a non-conference where they didn't pick up any major wins. So they got some work to do to to be really comfortable, um, especially if they want a better seed than an 8-9, maybe even a better seed than a 7. Um, when you're in that 8-9 game, sure, you'll take, after a decade of being out of the tournament, be very clear, the Lobos will take any seed um, that they get uh, just to get back in the tournament. But uh, the 8-9 game... Look, you, you, you play a, a really tough first-round opponent in that, but then you also, like most likely, face a one-seed. So we're talking right now the one-seeds in college basketball would probably be like a UConn, a Purdue, um, maybe a Kansas, a North Carolina, Houston, Tennessee, those teams that are kind of in that top five range right now in the AP poll um, and in the Ken Palm metrics and stuff like that. Houston, um, I know Houston's number one in, in Ken Palm. Anyway. Those are the teams you might be facing in the second round. So anybody that wants a, a path to the Sweet 16, you, you better hope you probably don't get stuck in that 8-9 game because while it does happen sometimes, it is highly unlikely that an 8 or a 9 seed beats a 1 seed in the second round of the tournament. So again, Lobos just want to get in. Um, they got nine games ahead of them now in Mountain West play. Starts Tuesday night on the road at, at uh, Wyoming. And we'll see how it goes. Again, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. However you are consuming this podcast, very much appreciated. The Albuquerque Journal Podcast Network, 
appreciates you. Um, subscribe to Local Journalism. It helps us continue bringing you these kind of products, not just the written product that uh, every day in the journal I am writing plenty about Mountain West and UNM Lobo basketball, but uh, so is everyone else about their, on their beats. James Yotis is killing it, as always, on the high school sports beat. Ken Sickinger with Lobo Women's Basketball, also in a title race of their own in the Mountain West. Sean Ryder on New Lobo football coach Bronco Mendenhall, Rick Wright on all kinds of combat sport updates, um, including Holly Holm fighting soon. Uh, got a lot of stuff going on in journal sports. abqjournal.com slash subscribe is where you can subscribe to local journalism. It helps us bring you all of this coverage. Helps helps me get to travel um, to cover and bring you as much as I can about Lobo basketball. So. Appreciate you for being here, listening, watching, however you're doing it. Once again, this is episode 78. This was episode 78 of the Talking Grammar Podcast. Until next time, thanks for watching.